um, two weeks. That's, that's, that's a long time, man. I can't remember the last time I actually did that. Probably apart from when I, when I was ill, um, uh, you know, the only, but if, when I've been healthy and I haven't been going down with anything, generally speaking, it's a daily thing, like every day, uh, relentlessly. So, uh, so yeah, it's well done you and taking that, that detox. Anything change? Like uh, what happens? I mean, mentally or anything? No, <laughs> not really. No, I mean, I like working, so it doesn't make any difference. Do you know something? This week I've done probably about 16 meetings or something with people this week. And probably 12 of them are just like giving people advice on stuff. People have contacted me saying like, what do you think I could, should do about this or whatever? From some which have been, yeah, I know how to give you the answer to that. And yeah, others which yeah. have been, I have no idea how you do. I am not qualified to deal with the circumstances that you're facing right now. You know, so. So you're like a roving advisory person on any topic. Uh, if you uh, get, uh, rent an opinion, just just I can help them. <laughs> I can help them with their talent pipeline questions. I certainly can't help them with their upcoming court case and their substance abuse. Jeez. Right. Yes. Fair enough. Fair. Mate, I, I feel this all the time. People ask me uh, for for meetings, and and I feel fundamentally unqualified um, to give an input or advice. And in fact, so much so that I actually I actually wrote this to to a founder today. I said, listen. The reason why I won't take this meeting is because you're going to believe too much of what I say, um, and you should not do that um, yeah. because, you, like, you over-index on what I'm going to say, and it's like not what you want to do. You want to just like go on your own path um, and trust your own sort of trust your customers, trust your team. You don't want outside people giving you sort of uh, their opinions when actually they're no more or less qualified than you are to do that, even though. Obviously, you know, these days it's probably a little bit more prominence in terms of, you know, who, who the heck I am and stuff. But fundamentally, I, I, you know, this guy knows how to drive the car better than I do. So I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be advising him. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's weird, man. It's, it really is strange. I've got, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a couple of quick ones. Sorry, really quickly. Go on. um, so I, I got, I've got two customers this week. So I'm not going to work with any more than five between now and August. But I've got two customers both, both this week, totally different. One's an enterprise company or a talent pipelining. The other one's an HR tech business. Um, but this, this this guy contacted me to say, um, just like to catch up, caught up with this guy. And I was absolutely gobsmacked with the creativity of what he's planning to do. And it's in, it's in an area which is very traditional and it's an entire reverse thinking on something that, uh, something that we're, we're looking at the wrong way. And I hadn't realized we're looking at it the wrong way. And it is like, what the hell? We're all looking at this the wrong way, and in a, in a very very big area of candidate generation, basically. Right. I've just said I've just spoken, really said nothing there, so it doesn't matter. Ignore me. That's that's fine. Uh, and you you've got to be careful not to blow his big idea as well. But it's, it sounds interesting when you've got that type of uh, that type of angle. Uh, it's always good to get people are sometimes a little bit distant from recruiting as well coming into it because they'll often have a very very unique perspective that um, that that we in the bubble um, uh, won't be able to see because um, we're always talking to each other. We're always having those things. So it's almost like sometimes you need an ignorant outsider who looks at it with a fresh pair of eyes and says, hang on, why don't you do this way? And yeah, it's like, the, yeah, you're right. This guy, this guy is bang in the middle of it, like bang in the middle of it. Uh, but you're, you're, you are right. Though. That works as well. Absolutely. I spoke to somebody else today. Uh, sorry, a few days ago, who's come from outside and yeah, totally be much better thinking that we've got inside.
Mm, we should probably engineer that a bit more, like cycle people in specifically, like a certain percentage of people doing startups in recruiting. I wonder. Has 10%. to be a new gene pool. Yeah, yeah, it has to be exactly that. It has to be not the genes. It's in the, the, the ideological gene pool, if you like. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, to just sprinkle it in because, uh, yeah. uh, because yeah, it, we just get more creativity anyway, folks. Let's get on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to Brain Food Live on Air, bringing it to you every Friday. No fail, it is episode 194. And today, we have got a very, very exciting show for, for you today. Actually, a very important one. Um, and it's sadly important, um, because it is something that you know, we need to pay attention to the state of the recruiter job market. Um, so if you are a recruiter and you're looking for work, or if you are an employer and actually hiring recruiters, what is the market actually saying? Um, we've obviously had a very chaotic uh, sort of uh, really two, three year period. There's a couple of prominent people I know last I was, you know, uh, uh, last couple of days, um, I've had conversations with um, good friends, prominent people have had to close down their businesses, sell their businesses um, because they, they weren't able to continue. We've had people lose jobs. Just now, before I came on, someone just messaged me and said, hey, Hong, guess what? I'm on wave four. I finally made it. I'm now on the market. And it's like, yeah, this is happening. So this is the reason why I want to do this show, folks, to give everyone like a very good perspective. We've got data people coming in, labor market economists coming in, community intelligence coming in, and we've got job seekers who've been recently on the market coming in. Hopefully from all of those perspectives, we'll be able to weave together a very a real picture as to what the recruiter uh, job market looks like. Anyway, uh, before we kick off, let's just uh, sort of make sure the sound checking is all right as usual. So folks, if you can hear me okay on Crowdcast, please do let me know. Just ping me a comment in the chat stream there and let me know whether the audio and visual is okay. Um, we should be broadcasting this live on LinkedIn. I hope the heck we are. Uh, I think I'm there. If, if you're watching this on LinkedIn, do let me know whether you can hear and see me okay. Um, I'm here <laughs> looking at a black screen here, so I have no clue. Um, I just uh, send me an emoji or something on LinkedIn. Let me know that that's there. Uh, we should be live also on Facebook and Twitter. I made the effort to actually hook us up on Discord as well. And I've failed on that. I 100% guarantee it. Um, so sorry for the folks on Discord, but we were broadcasting everywhere. So um, it looks like people can hear and see us okay, which is great. Um, okay, cool. Let's just bring, um, so firstly, uh, we've got we to gotta welcome our sponsors. So every week, folks, uh, Bring Food Live is sponsored by a company from the community that basically likes what we do so much that they say, you know what, Hung, you got to keep having these conversations relentlessly. Um, and this week, uh, we've got Horsefly Analytics, one of the UK's uh, outstanding pioneering companies in talent intelligence. And I know they're pioneering because I've got like American people talking about Horsefly Analytics. Um, so, uh, so they are a remarkable business for the size they are, for where they came from, and what they're doing. Um, and they're sponsoring the show. And in fact, Mike Bassnet is actually one of the folks Bassnet Sandy Ford is actually one of the uh, the, the folks who's going to come join us and do some demoing and searching of the platform uh, to give us some live data later on. So he's coming, come on, but he's going to come on now because he might as well do the sponsor message. Um, let's bring Mike on, uh, and we'll kick Mike off in a bit. Oh, he's done this, hasn't he? He's, he's just failed to put his second name in. All right, so there's four mics. Two of them, are, two of them are actually in attendance. I'm just going to go for the top one. Whoever that mic is, 
whoever that mic is, just accept. Emoji. <laughs> yeah, an actual horsefly emoji. I think this is the day where the wrong mic is going to turn up because I've, I think whoever the mic is, the mic will say, oh, I was hoping for someone else. Oh, <laughs> imagine the wrong mic trying to pitch horsefly. <laughs> It'd be interesting. Do you remember that very famous uh, BBC interview where some fella came in for a job interview um, and the, the people mistook him for a, a guest uh, uh, as a, an expert, a guest panelist, <laughs> they got him on screen and they were talking to him as if he was actually the expert on topic, whatever. And it was just a fella turning for a job, like for an IT job or something. Uh, and it was just the most hilarious thing. I think it's still on, it's on YouTube now if you want to search for it. It was a classic. Uh, but one of these days, folks, quite right, Daniel, one of these days, someone is going to turn up that shouldn't be on screen. But I can safely say, Mike, uh, is definitely the right mic. So welcome on the screen, Mike. Thank you so much. Are uh, you going to come back on? I'm going to take you off and put, bring you back on. But whilst we've got you here, can you quickly tell us what Horsefly is? Why should people care? Who should care about it? Well, everyone should care about it, really. Um, I think, um, so, so first and foremost, Horsefly is a real-time labor market insights platform. Um, we've been running for seven years now um, and pulling data from across the web. And yeah, look, we started here in in a rather chilly UK, but but now offering insights on a on a global scale, covering fifty eight regions, giving insights on anything from supply demand, gender diversity, EDNI, one of the latest modules that we released last year, which has been something which has been really well received. Um, you know, competitor analysis, skills analysis, and and we're we're supporting a mass range of organisations from. SMEs right the way to global corporates, RPOs, recruitment businesses um, with insights to make better decisions, basically. Yeah, so talent intelligence tool. So typically, what kind of person uh, interacts with the tool and, and what, what's the context in which they would actually you know, use Horsefly? Uh, yeah, crikey, you could be here for a while. I mean, we, we work with, with such different user groups, and I think there's no right or wrong. You know, we work with sourcing teams, which are using it to guide, you know, hiring manager and stakeholder conversations um, from a TA perspective. You know, we've got talent acquisition teams, which are, you know, branching and doing some of that workforce planning. But then we've got the, the teams doing the real strategic workforce planning, looking at the skills they need in their organization for the next three years, looking at location strategies. We've got organizations looking at the whole real estate um, aspect of what they do and where do we put offices do we we set up hubs do we relocate people do we hire in different areas so it's a real myriad of of people that we support and work with which ultimately makes it a really interesting job so yeah fantastic stuff so listen Mike, that's amazing where could people find out more about horsefly can you what is the website can you whip it into the uh, chat stream there yeah, I will do. Yeah, horsefanalytics.com. Um, loads of use cases, lots of information there. We're on LinkedIn, obviously, as well, and, and social channels. And, uh, yeah, followers, um, follow myself and uh, some of the other guys. Um, you know, lots of interesting stuff been posted around how you can use data and why you should be using it. Fantastic. And you're coming back onto the screen, Mike, to show us exactly what we're talking about when we start doing recruiter searches. So one of the things I want everyone else to do, by the way, is think about a search that you want Mike to perform. So in other words, if you're a recruiter looking for a job, 
what, what information is going to be useful for you? Um, if you are an employer looking for recruiters, what information would you actually like to draw from? Horsefly Analytics, one of the leading talent intelligence companies out there, they may be able to provide you with that information. So put the put the the, the request into the uh, either the chat stream, actually put it in the ask a question feature at the bottom and we'll go to them and make sure people do it. If you're watching this on uh, LinkedIn, which about I think about uh, 80 of us are. So if you're watching this on LinkedIn, just put it in the, in the comment thread. What is the, the, the search you want Mike to carry out? And we'll do that live on screen uh, when it comes in. And I promise you it will be like, you know, a Google Bard style snafu, obviously. But uh, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to do what we can, Michael, aren't we? Um, all well, right, listen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just for that caveat, though, Hung, you know, look, you know, we'll only be able, obviously, you're going to have so much time to, to run um, so many searches. I've got a few bits prepared already, but look, um, you know, we're happy to run searches for anybody that, that wants to kind of reach out as well. So if we don't get it covered today, live on air, then please drop in. We'll happily support and give you a report on the role you're looking for. So that's actually a really good idea. So listen, obviously, with live, live, live sort of uh, conversation, we might not be able to do it all in organized time. But Mike is going to do the the search for you anyway, even if we can't get it done today. So that's a that's an amazing offer. Uh, all right, Mike. Listen, um, go and have a cup of tea or something. We'll bring you back in a bit. Cool. Everyone's talking about horsefly right now. <clears throat> like loads is, of people are talking about, yeah, they're every horseflies absolutely everywhere. But horseflies themselves are bloody horrible creatures. I was going to say, I was, I, I don't, I, I've never asked Will, the founder of it, like why, why do you want to name it after a creature like this? But uh, yeah, like, they're pollinators. Fair, Lena, fair like all insects, they're pollinators. That's good. But apart from that, they don't serve a purpose. I enjoy. No, no, and uh, they're like Michi type things, aren't they? Are oh, they bigger actually? They're, they're oh, they, they bite you. Yeah, they sting you or bite yeah, you. I don't yeah, know which yeah. it is, but they're, they, I mean, it's bad. Yeah, you need to rebrand into like some cuter, you know, pandas, panda, panda analytics, koala analytics. <laughs> All right, no worries. We'll bring them back. All right, let's uh, let's get on with a quick newsletter review. Uh, Adam, I'm not sure whether you had the time to to see. Actually, you haven't because you've been off. off no, you haven't opened your computer, no. have you? So no. We... Um, We've done this together for like 18 years and I've never not read it. Okay. So, um, but I think let, let's do an abbreviated version because actually this, this episode of the show is really important. So I'll just do I a agree. Couple. Yeah. Um, first is your poll. Who's going to win the AI race? Chat GPT got 54%. That's probably because most people had never heard of any of the other options and don't know anything about it. Chat GPT may or may not. Nobody, nobody can actually answer that question. That was just a name recognition poll. Yep, I That's agree. My view. It was exactly what it is. And these polls are just opinions. I mean, no one's doing research on it, but I want to get the sense as to what the feeling is. What was interesting, though, was that ChatGBT was the first mover, and that's the power you have as first mover because it's very dominant in people's minds. And because these, these products are competitive in the sense that they take time to, to use, you would not typically run multiple prompts across all, all, all three of them. Um, they end up becoming like search engines in the sense you might default to a favorite you go to, and that may be the one that sticks with you. So a uh, very interesting battle between Google Bard, New Bing, and Chat GPT at the moment. So the link between that and one of the brain food articles is that I think one of them was to do with Google and its share price tumbling and stuff like that. Now, um, the, the headline was that it did it because it made a mistake in the live demo of its um, you know, product. Uh, but that, that isn't why the share price tumbled. The share price tumbled because the question around 
this new large language model uh, impacting Google's standard like business model and what's going to happen with that and the potential cannibalization there, that's the big thing. That's the big unanswered question because Google's had the same type of thing for a long time. It's just never made it public. And the difference is that OpenAI is a fixed profit or limited profit organization, which is not trying to compete with Google or any other, you know, Microsoft or anybody else in terms of the, the profit aspect. So therefore, it can turn its outsides, ins you know, it can start it turn its insides out. Whereas I, I, Google is going to have to do that now. And the impact on the, the classic business model is the question. I think there's another layer to why this is problematic um, because you're absolutely right. The reason why Google have been sitting on it is because it fundamentally is it's, it's a competitor to the ads product. Um, they want people to sit on search and misclick on a few ads and discover new stuff through advertising. I think 90, 90 plus percent, maybe actually less, they've got something on, on the, the other tools, but at least 90 odd percent of revenue for Google is on ads. Um, and uh, you know, Bard is a competitor for that. Additionally, is another issue which is really interesting is that there's a sense that conversational AI type interfaces might just stop you from searching further. And I've noticed that's this myself. Like if you type something in and you get a satisfactory answer, which the reason why it's people are so satisfied with it, is so excited with it because it is providing satisfactory answers, you then take that answer and think, all right, that'll do. Uh, you're no longer then going to other websites and looking at it from there. So I'd be very interested to know what the overall web traffic levels are once these tools become very widely mainstreamed. I think all web traffic is going to go down, every single website. Um, and if you think about that, that is fundamentally going to change how the Internet's going to look. Um, and, and it's really exciting on one side, but it's, it's kind of an epoch shift on another. Sourcing, holy crap, that's where it's going to go completely different because most of the data that we source from is actually on the web. Um, yeah. So if the web cannot be supported by ads anymore because no one's actually visiting these sites, no one's actually, by the way, we're all privacy mania right now anyway, so ads are less effective, then a lot of these websites are simply going to go down because people aren't going to maintain them for the sake of it. Um, therefore, that's going to change the amount of data that's available for us to actually search via a search engine. It's going to be really, really interesting. Um, but anyway, I remember reading a, reading the book about the the early days of Google, and they went into the they went into pitch Google maybe as an acquisition opportunity. I'm not sure as one for, to one of the big media companies like NBC Universal or something like that. And the CEO Les somebody he was a famous media guy, like traditional media guy. He went absolutely nuts, slammed his fist on the table, and shouted, "You're fucking with the magic, you know, the magic of traditional media." Well, Google must be looking at OpenAI and slamming their fists down. Like, because they're messing with their magic now. So it's going to come full circle a little they've, bit. They've, they've got the two original founders back in hammering out code. I mean, that's how that's how it is. They've literally got Sergey back in trying to tinker with it. Mean, it's yeah. crazy. It's crazy yeah. how fast is that. Anyway, yeah. we're going to do ChatGPT next week, folks. The final episode, it's going to be ChatGPT uh, part three, ethics and concerns. So here is where we're going to illustrate ways in which recruiters have been using ChatGP3. Uh, and then we're going to say, you know what? What's the ethical issue here? What's the legal issue? What's the ramification? Stuff that you've brought off yourself, Adam, in terms of like the legality of it and whether there's permission based. And JP Morgan, for instance, earlier this week has just banned ChatGPT 
in their, from their employees because they're concerned so about compliance. Major yeah. RPO, major RPO that I know, like a ma one of the top probably three biggest ones has said you're not using that. And the and when asked why, it was because you're not using robots to do your job for you. This is like anecdotally I've heard from somebody that works in this business in a job where this person absolutely knows. Yeah. I mean, it's, like it's no, no real answer. That's not well, a real answer. No, it's not. Um, but there's, I, th I think that we, we need to explore those things. So make sure you join uh, the uh, the show next week. Okay, let's get on with today's show because this is even more important. Um, uh, recruited job market. I mean, you and I obviously, I don't know whether you've been looking or, or obviously you haven't. I mean, you, you're beyond being a job seeker these days, I guess, Adam. Um, but from your sense, I mean, do you, do you have any perspective with regards to what the recruited job market looks like at this point? 12 months or so ago, recruiters were obviously hot to trot. Uh, where are we now? I, I, I do. And actually, I spoke to somebody earlier today who told me it is really tough out there. Um, there is, you've got to be creative with the ways you're going about, like approaching your search. Uh, you've got to use your network. You've got to use your little black book. You've got to position yourself in a way whereby you're going to be able to deliver more than 100% of what a traditional recruiter can do because you're bringing tools, you're bringing skills, you're bringing, you know, higher productivity. <clears throat> um, and so, yeah, I mean, my, my knowledge is semi, it's anecdotal, um, but I, I can't wait to find out what the, what the guests, you know, uh, enlighten us about. Let's let's go with anecdotes first. Um, and we, by the way, I'm a big fan of anecdotes. I don't mean for that to seem as if it's any lesser. I actually think it's it's, it's hugely stronger. Uh, but I'm going to bring an Octav who's recently got a job, which is amazing. But he's obviously been on a journey. He was with us when he was made redundant. Remember a couple of weeks a couple of weeks before Christmas, just at the wrong time. So he's going to come and join us now. We're also going to bring on Emma Merrington as well, who is of course the CEO of the firm. Um, which is a huge network of um, internal recruiters. Um, and I guess from there, the, you know, I'm guessing Emma must have surfaced up some, some sort of intelligence there in terms of what they're saying uh, about what the market is looking like. So let's bring on Octav and, uh, and, uh, and Emma. There's Octav. Firstly, Hello. congratulations, Octav, on the job, man. Well done, mate. Thank you. Thanks a lot. And um, now I'm just going to say... Once again, a massive, massive podcast. Thank you for bringing me on board the first time and then all the support. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's a very weird time indeed and everything helps here. So uh, yeah, uh, nice to see you again and nice to see you, Adam, as well. Great stuff. Okay, Emma's here as well. Um, let's firstly, actually, Octav, why don't you introduce yourself first? Who are you? What is you do now? Because you've got a job. So um, cool. <laughs> I, can, I can say that, yes. Uh, so for everyone else uh, that doesn't know here, so uh, I've just recently joined PetApp uh, as a talent lead. So I'm effectively just going to build a, the talent function from ground up here. Um, PetSap is a tiny, tiny startup uh, with about 23 people and massively growing. Uh, just about to kind of hit that hyper growth type of uh, stage. But what we do with a combination of Salesforce for vet clinics and let's say a mix of Babylon Health for pet owners and bridging the two. So it's a pretty Brilliant. exciting uh, new platform. If you have pets, you'll know about the, the issues of owning a pet and having it. Um, they take well taking it to the vet and all of this kind of stuff. So that's the the problem that we're we're trying to solve. 
Fantastic. Um, and uh, and great to see you, Emma, as always. Um, wonderful to have you on the show. Um, Emma, for the few people who don't know you, would you like to introduce yourself real quick? Who are you? What it is you do? Sure. Thank you, Hung. And hi, everyone. My name's Emma Merrington, and I'm Managing Director of the firm. Um, we are a membership organisation for talent acquisition professionals. So providing the sort of support that you would expect from a membership organisation, research, tools, templates, training, etc., um, and really pleased to be here today. Thank you. Great. And loads, um, I'm really interested to, to dive into what the firm has been telling you in terms of what the market is. But let's take our attention to Octav firstly, because you've actually been at the call face. Take us through it. You were made redundant from Sneak, I believe, what, two months or yes. so ago. Um, and you were on the market ASAP because obviously you've got urgency. Octav about to have a, a baby for the first time, I think. Um, so... Yeah. Yeah, need to get the job, right? So tell me about how that felt and, and what the, the job search felt like for you. Uh, you know, what was the, the yeah. sense you got? So, I mean, we've, we've spoken about the psychological um, issues that kind of go through and that changes from person to person and that affects everyone differently. Um, I won't, let's say, dive too much on that, but it does uh, affect you. Uh, in terms of what I found, so I've been made redundant three and a half months ago, at the end of October, essentially, and um, it's been, I think I've got the, just the beginning of the wave of redundancies, and then things kind of picked up along the, the months that came just before Christmas, but also after, so it's been a very odd and very stressful type of challenge to kind of face, because you look at um, companies that you, let's say, really admire, you want to apply for the jobs, you reach out to people there, and then a week or so after they go and find out, hey, they've actually cut their talent teams, hey, they've actually made redundancies as well. So it just became a bit of a weird catch, 22, like, where do you apply? How do you apply? Um, how do you go from being without a job to trying to find a meaningful conversation? And um, I found that, uh, yeah, the network has been incredibly supportive. I mean, without the talent network, uh, both in London and the people I know and work with, but also uh, many other people that just reached out and said, hey, I really feel for you. Everything really, really helped. And um, even with the, the interviews that I've had, um, people were very sympathetic about the, the situation. No one really slammed you for, hey, what are you looking for next? Why are you looking to leave? Well, obviously I've been very redundant, so I need a new job. Um, so I'm, I'm, I did, I was asked that, like, why are you looking to leave? Why are you looking to move into a new job? Well, I don't have one. <laughs> um, so you get all sorts of silly questions sometimes, but most the, predominant feeling was support um there was lots and lots of support from from people can i can i just say that that i yeah. i don't believe one of the, the big one of the biggest problems in talent acquisition right now is like forecasting what are my team going to be working on next week and next month and in three months time and that's because there's so much disruption right now and so what you just said is like your network was really vital there has never been a more important time to be like to use your network and your little black book and be a member of things like the firm. And it, it, it's, it, it is just so important, yeah. so much more important than it ever has been, I think, with the amount of disruption yeah. that well, we're facing you, in the world. It, it gives you competitive advantage. I mean, I see any network is literally a web um, and, and it's a web of information, basically, or a web of information flows. 
Um, so if you've got a thick and dense web, then you're going to have more information and that's going to give you more, more, more uh, chances of making a better decision than someone who's like hanging off the one strand. Uh, you know, I think that's a person at high risk of being like cut off. You don't want to be that person. And of no. course, the time to build network is when you don't need it. Um, but we all yeah. often neglect it so much. But please just get involved in communities. You're in sort of brain food here. Uh, you know, we're going to do the, the, the link share in a minute. Make sure you do that and then connect with everyone. You know, make sure you continue those conversations. Um, Octav, did you get how many interviews did you have to take? I mean, what was the the, the ratio? Do you record any of this? Give oh. us some numbers. Here. <laughs> so I've applied, I think, to probably over 50 jobs, at least, at least the very, very least. Um, most of them I've never really heard back from. Um, I've had about five interviews or six interviews with different companies. Um, some would go for, let's say, uh, under the level that I was on, some would be a bit just about there. But yeah, it's been a very interesting scenario. Um, I've tried different types of roles as well. So more like just focused on sourcing. Um, so yeah, it's been it's it's been a bit weird. But yeah, about six or seven companies, let's say, that I've spoken with directly and kind of gone in past, let's say, that initial interview. So, so you would say there's, there was actually jobs to find. So 50 jobs, I guess, you know, where did you find them? Uh, but you're telling me that your yeah. applications didn't get a response most of the time. Yeah. Um, so the typical places like the job boards that I've used were yeah, LinkedIn and Otter. But then you'll see there that once a, a job came live, everyone has alerts, of course, because we all know how to use those these days. Um, you'll get like 300, 400 applicants, and that's just LinkedIn. And I bet that there were lots more on an ATS, uh, going through careers page, going through the directly to the poster, going through pretty much any other avenue. And I'm seeing this now on the other, on the flip side of the table, because I'm putting a job advert now up uh, for anything, and I get approached on LinkedIn, I get messages, I get emails, I get uh, applications through the actual ATS. So there's a variety. So when you see like 300 applicants on LinkedIn, probably there's gonna be a lot more than that. Yeah, so overwhelming applicant response, that's gonna yes. stop the ability for recruiters who haven't got a system that can scale uh, in responses to just get back. So unfortunately it's, it's a CV yeah. back hole scenario um yeah. for 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 us that's uh really really interesting um okay emma let's let's bring bring you into this conversation um uh, what's the atmosphere been like within the firm um and have you got a sense as to where people are feeling about what the, what the market's looking like uh for the yeah. Yeah, internal gurus <clears throat> yeah yeah um so it's really interesting because i think it's so sector specific so obviously when you look at the tech sector um, they're having some real challenges there. And I think you talked in the past, Hung, about, you know, a K-shaped uh, recession. And and I think that's starting to, to appear. So I was speaking to a discount retailer the other day and they're booming lots of TA vacancies because people are choosing to buy down, in effect. Um, so that's been really interesting to see. Um, I think candidate experience is still quite poor from a TA recruitment perspective. So similar to what Uptaf's mentioned, but I spoke to a couple of people the other day. Again, one of them, had, um, and these are heads of TA roles. One had applied for 50 roles, one had applied for 30, and each had heard back from about 10 organisations. So candidate experience is poor, even at more senior levels. 
Uh, I think the other thing that we're seeing is sort of the whole hybrid working ratio coming into play. So people are really not keen um, to work, be on site more than sort of one to two days a week. So it'd be interesting to see if we do sort of an, any analytics, if that sort of um, if that shows in terms of application numbers. And when we just launched our salary survey, we saw that at the moment, 76% of the respondents are working um, hybrid patterns. So that's sort of something that we're, we're really sort of seeing come into play too. And there's a discrepancy there between the, the sort of uh, the, on, the, the percentage of on-premise jobs, isn't there? Because basically employers are essentially going a lot more towards on-premise um, and there's a, basically a, a dissonance between what employees want. It's, um, yeah, so, it's so, so true. It's um, we're seeing sort of very much the rise of the employee voice um, amongst the community where people um, really don't want to be back on site full time um, and are quite sort of clear about that. And that's producing a challenge for TA leaders in terms of how they can ensure they sort of bring, you know, bring the teams back on site and recruit people who will be in the office more than sort of the one to two days a week. Yeah, bringing you back in, Octave. I mean, uh, uh, leaving aside the personal situation with with Petsap, but um, the jobs that you saw and applied for, like, did you did you get a sense, you know, what percentage were flexible in terms of work, or what percent were, hey, you know, we're back office, uh, back to the office? Um, what did you, can you commentate on that? Yeah, that's a very good point, actually, and um, I've seen quite a few where they were looking for people to join on site. 100% uh, and they would close it to say actually no our CEO wants our people to be back on site now and this is the the matter of the role this is the the requirement and if you want to take it take it if not not um, I've seen that in two two businesses um, two big businesses actually and they said no we, we're not having hybrid anymore we don't want to give people that option anymore um, but on the flip side I've seen a lot of highly let's say remote uh or remote first type of businesses and they just said yeah we were happy to hire anywhere but then that opens up the market completely to a lot of uh, people so it's just yeah people who want to be i don't know it's it's a bit of a uh, tricky one but people who want to go on site they'll find that but then if they go on remote uh roles only they'll have to let's say compete against every other candidate in the country so that's yeah it's tough very very interesting so basically the uh yeah it seems like the 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 employers are asking the candidates to compromise on their optimal yeah. and saying look uh do you want to and using the uh, the advantage of the abundance to say right uh you know if you yeah. say no uh, next person is gonna say yes because people need jobs um, so there's, there's a big battle on here, um, and I totally get it. As a, as a job seeker, um, you might just be flying to the teeth of competition if you went for those juicy remote-only roles, um, and, and you've got to get your game in, into play because you're right in the middle of a very competitive situation. Whereas it, an on-premise position is going to have less applicant flow, you've got a better shot, uh, simple as that. Um, so we've got to, got to make those type of strange compromises there. Um, okay, very interesting. Um, uh, Emma, you mentioned the, things. Sorry, Go ahead. Hunt, can I just quickly say that the I did notice in the newsletter um, there, there was a. I mean, this whole conversation around remote and working on premise doesn't ever slow down. Probably fifty percent of the items in this week's newsletter were on were on this subject, and some of them were very conflicting messages, such as one guy who said. Companies that startups that 
that worked on site together were growing three and a half times faster than those that weren't. And, and it turned out that that was a little bit of smoke and mirrors in there, but it, 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 it just doesn't ever stop this conversation. Uh, it's contended. I mean, and I think you can make an argument on either side. Um, maybe there is a pattern coming through and you know, I don't want to sort of insert my own view here, but I'm going to go, in, go ahead and do that. Um, so, so, but basically, I think if you're very, very early stage, like where innovation is key and you don't know what you're doing, you haven't got product market fit, et cetera, you just, that, that stage, then I think, yeah, jamming everyone in together 24 by seven probably makes the most sense because there's no there's no gaps in terms of being able to do stuff. You'll be able to just do things much more quickly. I think when you've got to the point where you know how to make money and you've got customers and it's a matter of scaling or it's a matter of incrementally growing, then that's when sort of remote makes more sense because you're not really having that level of innovation intensity anymore. You already know how the, how the cash has been made. Um, so so your, your aim at that point is just more efficiency, um, include which part of it is how you hire people more quickly. So I think there is something to be said about the stage of the business in terms of where it's at. Um, I think if you've got a major, major organization, let's say I think Octave, you mentioned a lot of the big organizations um, where there's a lot of... A, lot of like organizational complexity um that's difficult to manage in scenario because it's actually a big scheduling challenge and people aren't in the same building therefore aren't in the same time zone therefore aren't in the same sort of mindset um then then yeah i can totally get it if you're working for an enterprise you're going to get the whip and say okay you're back in um so so yeah i, I think i think hybrid is basically going to be chipped away um we're going to see a lot more on premises than we did 2022 we're going to see a lot more remote than we did in 2022 because certain companies have hybrided and they'll make decision they'll just get rid of the office um and then uh, and then the uh, uh that that middle hybrid bit will squeeze i think ultimately uh, to be less popular than it has been. so anyway that's my that's my view um okay what's happening with salary folks um is it up down uh, everywhere i mean again 12 months down the line we're getting 25 percent uplift uh, you know, re recruiters are earning two, three hundred grand in, 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 in ridiculous uh, amounts of money. Is that happening, Octave? How, are you, have you made yourself rich, or did you have to think, okay, twelve months or so ago I would have said no to this, but now I've got to say yes because actually it's competitive compared to what I'm seeing. It's uh, <laughs> um, not trying to divulge too much, really, but um, I think the salary market has changed a bit. Uh, it's definitely gone down, um, and again. You look at the market economics here, we have so many people applying for so many jobs, uh, for a very finite number of jobs. Um, companies will try to pull down on on that level of salary. Um, I've seen even like 30 to 40 percent, um, for example, cuts, which is massive. And I said, no, thank you. Um, I know where I stand. I know where I, what my qualities are, what the skills I have um, can, can bring to you. And yeah, it's just a matter of keeping to your guns, basically. But um, I have seen a lot of companies trying to lowball just based on the on the mm. amount of, uh, of recruiters out there. But um, it's not that bad, though. Uh, I would say typically maybe a 10 to 15 percent cut. That's around the level. Uh, it kind of feels in line with all the other cuts that are being made, to be very honest, but it's not that bad. I mean, a 10-15% cut from a previous salary isn't necessarily the, the worst. It's not great either, but it does pay the bills. It still puts you in a good place. 
maybe in one year's time we're gonna see that bum uh, well that boom again and um yeah we'll see where uh yeah uh, where things go especially in your market um we, again emma sector specificity is important because obviously tech massively inflated those salaries were leading the way especially with vc money coming in but we know that vc money has not has literally gone the opposite way over the last 12 months or so and seems to be continuing down that downward trend that's simply less cash that goes into uh, hiring people. So, uh, so yeah, we might need to reset our expectations there. Emma, let's go to you on salary because obviously you've got a salary survey going on. Where are we with that? Have you completed it? Have we got any information? Yes, uh, we have. Uh, we've just completed it. So I'll give you a copy, Hung, so you can share it in Brain Food for everyone to, to access. Amazing. Um, and it is really interesting, not just sort of the salary piece, but also things like, you know, retention bonuses. Um, we're seeing... I think if I had a theme for 2023, it is about retention. Um, so people are investing a lot in their their internal TA teams. We've seen some organisations sort of um, implementing sort of their grow their own schemes, but um, sign on bonuses, um, loyalty bonuses. Um, we've seen um, coming in for sort of more senior niche roles too, which is really interesting. Um, so yes, fascinating to see. Did you see any, like, can you commentate, are you prepared to commentate on any broad trends in terms of where salary levels are compared to uh, the, the survey last year? Because I think you do it annually, don't oh, you? Oh, it so. was uh, five years ago, actually, uh, oh, that we last okay. did the survey. So, yes, of course, they've they've increased. Um, I think I won't go into detail on today's call because I haven't got the sort of the data from five years ago. But um um, but I think the sort of the thing that we are seeing is the sort of the, the increase in, in rewards and also expectations. The other thing that was really interesting to see was less than 28% of respondents want to stay at their company for more than two years. And that actually drops to 52% for five years. So you've got sort of a, a sort of discrepancy there where organisations are really focusing on retaining their TA talent, but the, the internal TA talent is not necessarily wanting to stay at the organisation. So I think it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. How interesting. What was the, did you capture any like commentary on as to why that was? I mean, did you give people op, uh, like uh, a way to tell, like to, to, to explain their decision making? Well, um, uh, the rationale, uh, sort of the, so the top two reasons, unsurprisingly, are salary and career progression. I was actually, I, I was surprised because the whole hybrid sort of flexible working piece was actually sort of midway down in terms of sort of one of the, the reasons I would have thought it would be higher. Yeah. But it's still, yeah, salary, career progression. Top two. It just goes to show, doesn't it, that employers have to focus more and more on talent development because this train, which is people needing to move employer for career progression, never stops. Mm. Yeah. And there's evidence for that. If you're looking at it from an individual point of view, you should look to move every three four years you shouldn't hang around six seven years because basically you're suppressing your sal your compensation if you do that um and that's the sad reality you pop out you get 20 20 increase whatever it is and then you trade back at a, at a higher level that's you know if you want to be completely transactional about it that's the way to do it um so yeah unless you know businesses respond to that um maybe salary transparency will help at some point uh, to, 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 to give us to give companies a little bit more awareness as to what they could and should be paying. Uh, maybe that's going to help with retention. Uh, who knows? But it's obviously a, a major thing. Okay, folks, listen, we have to move on because we're flying through this at uh, the, the time we have. Um, please hang around. Octave and Emma, we're going to do some searching on the horse flight in a bit. 
um, and we've, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully uh, be able to uh, bring in some questions as well that other folks will be able to answer. So, uh, Octav, uh, great to see you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Emma, great to see you as well. Make sure you share the link to the report. I mean, if you want people to, to register or whatever, just don't matter. That's okay. Just stick it into the uh, chat stream there and on LinkedIn. I'm sure people will be very interested in getting a copy of that. Um, okay, we've got to move. We've got to move real quick. Um, folks, we always do this in the middle of every show. Um, this is a point where we talk about networking again. What's, we've got to make sure that everyone is walking away from this conversation with a much stronger network than they did when they walked into it. Bring through live. It has to come off air. The conversation should not stop with us, though. Uh, so take a moment, folks. Grab your LinkedIn URL and share it in the chat stream on Crowdcast. If you're watching this anywhere else, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, wherever, wherever it might be, take your LinkedIn URL and share it in a comment and then make sure that you connect with everyone else who has done the same. Um, uh, there's, there's a couple hundred people watching this. So if you if you, if you did this, if everyone did it, uh, you're going to walk away with 100 plus connections of people who are interested in this topic with whom you can then have a conversation afterwards or at the very least you can continue to have a, 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 some sort of network build uh, in these pressing times. So make sure you take advantage of this. Uh, Can I just make another suggestion around that? See if you use anything like recruiting brain, like Crowdcast or WhatsApp or anything like for any, that for any communities, I highly recommend putting your first and surname um, on there um, because if your name is just says John, John who? People don't, you might, you might make a brilliant comment, but you're not benefiting from the social capital because nobody knows who John is. Um, I, it's I the same couldn't... on WhatsApp and elsewhere. You know what? I couldn't agree with you more. First name, second name. You gotta, you gotta own it. Um, even if you've got a long name, like some folks have here, Lee Candiotti. I know he's there, but um, you know, just type it in. It's not. It's gonna save you. Uh, you're gonna save minimal amount of time simply by uh, truncating that. Um, and get, get your face up there. Like the amount of people on uh, uh, Crowdcast here, which you know, I don't expect it because people don't hang around here, but. It would probably help if you uploaded your photo there um, on on screen. The photo you use for LinkedIn, for instance. Um, so yeah, well done there, Gary. <laughs> There's a few people doing it now. <laughs> All the ugly mugs. I hope you don't mind me saying Steve and Gary, but uh, but yeah, uh, get your pictures on. That's going to help basically help build brand. Um, okay, let's bring on some of our market economist folks because uh, we have uh, Mariano. I think he's back from Brazil. Is he there? Yes, he is. And we also have Tony. I think Tony's with us. Um, let's get some uh, um, broader, broader information in terms of where we're at on the job market. Um, always excited to speak to labor market economists because I don't know anything about it, but they do. Um, and it's educational for me uh, to figure this out. There he is, Mariano. How are you doing, sir? Good, good thanks. How are you guys? Yeah, we're very, very well. Uh, Mariano, um, why don't you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Yeah, so I'm Mariano. Hi, everyone. I'm an economist, uh, lab labor economist, really. Um, and I've been working for the last few years in different tech companies. So I was at Indeed for a while at the hiring lab there. I worked at the LinkedIn Economic Graph. And more recently, I was the Global Talent Intelligence Team on, at Amazon. So I've been working with labor market research for close to a decade. So yeah, really happy to kind of like talk you through some maybe of the Euro European level trends that we see uh, today. Fantastic stuff. And we see Tony uh, there as well. Tony, well, welcome back to the show. You're, you're a favorite on Brain Food Live. Um, uh, can you uh, quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? 
Hi, hi everyone. Hi, Hung. I'm Tony Wilson. I'm the director at the Institute for Employment Studies. So while well, the, the clues in the name, we, we do we do research and analysis and consulting around anything to do with employment, HR and labor markets. Fantastic stuff. And by the way, Tony's Twitter is amazing. He's really, really good at breaking stuff down. Um, he's a must follow on this. Tony, why don't you share your Twitter on the uh, chat stream as well? It's, it's one of the yeah. places where I get this information. I'm better, on, I'm better on Twitter than LinkedIn. So I'll do that. Which is a crazy combo when you think about it. Um, you know, um, it's, 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 it's a surprising switch. Um, okay, you've heard from the recruiters, folks, and I know you two are not like specialists in the staffing market per se. Um, uh, but with some of the commentary that Octave and Emma were talking about, um, did they did that resonate in any way in terms of the wider context of where uh, the work was? You know, where there was seemed to be like an excess of of candidates, competition for jobs um you know suppression on wages uh, is, is that is that what you're seeing as uh, sort of in the wider sectors or is it actually quite specific to the staffing sector that we're in um how do you how do you read this um why don't we go with why don't we go with you first uh, tony um seeing as you're uk focused a little bit more um what, what's your thoughts well i'm really interested to hear what mariano thinks as well because i've been quite struck in the conversation that it's not really what we're seeing in the labor market more generally we're still seeing quite more broadly we're still seeing quite similar issues to to what we've had in like you know in the sort of post-pandemic period which is interesting for people sort of listening you've probably got two hats on you've got like your your hat as a talent acquisition professional and looking at your own market and your hat as somebody trying to help clients to fill their jobs and I suspect, you know, comments earlier about things like, you know, people not having the right skills for the jobs. Somebody's put a comment in the chat about, um, you know, online being like trying to use a fire hose to fill a glass and stuff. I mean, I think probably a lot of people with um, um, with with vacancies at the moment are probably still not not finding the candidates that they want rather than not being able to find the candidates they want rather than finding there's too, there's too many. So. But, but, you know, I really think the labour market is, is changing and it's changing very, really quickly. The, the, you know, again, the, the, the example given about tech jobs is a good one. We're seeing a slowdown generally. A slowdown is we're also seeing quite a lot of changes in the sorts of work people are doing. We talked about some of this already around hybrid in particular and how technology is changing how we work. And I wonder if you're if many of you working in these in, in this industry are kind of the canaries in the coal mine that, you know, you're you're experiencing first what we're going to possibly start to see in more professional jobs, a wider range of professional jobs over the next year or so as the economy starts to slow. But also, I mean, it's been a real boom time, hasn't it, over recent years and over, over the last year or so. So maybe part of it is a kind of a rebound from that as well. And it's firms cutting back on stuff that they previously you know, desperately needed. And now they're kind of trying to make savings. I don't know. Yeah, well, again, it's not only there's two verticals, really. It's recruiters, but there's also recruiters in technology. Um, and um, again, yeah. I'm using Octave as, a, as, a, as an avatar here. Uh, but it, truth be said, a lot of the people who watch this are from sort of the, that, those particular fields. And in fact, there has been a massive surge of recruiting just immediately after the lockdowns sort of uh, uh, lockdown sort of uh, era went. Um, we had a massive surge of hiring. And then, of course, we had a recorrection uh, when the world kind of, kind of went crazy with the results of the uh, uh, the war in Ukraine, um, which uh, we, which kind of reset everything. So a, a lot of the excess hiring, if you like, of the last 12 months uh, has now been shed, I believe. Um, and that's and we're now kind of dealing with a different investment environment as well, which again makes people a lot more defensive. Um, Mariano, you want to say something? Yeah, no, absolutely. I 100%, you know, plus one to what Tony said. Uh, there is definitely, you know, like a bit of a disconnect 
between you know maybe some of the you know experience which obviously you know like some people are like going through especially like in the tech sector especially in some kind of like verticals like uh, you know recruiting you know human resources like being one but once you look at the uh, at the macro you know like at the labor market data actually you don't see very much of that so what you see is definitely a little bit of a softening like a slowdown in some of the metrics and that's for example even more pronounced in places like the uk than if you look for a continental europe so at the eurozone or countries like france and germany which actually have some really strong you know labor market indicators at the moment so q4 you know we saw actually higher than expected employment growth in the eurozone it came it came at 0.4 percent uh more than forecasted expected expected you have the one of the lowest unemployment rates on record uh this translates also into a, into a market that appears to be quite tight so as tony was saying we do still hear a lot of reports from companies of difficulties of like filling jobs uh I think hospitality you know being one place where where they're struggling uh i heard the term like uh vibe session which i don't like particularly but to some extent you know um maybe uh, by proximity by seeing some you know some of that um you know some of this those layoffs being maybe concentrated in um in industries that we are close to uh we extrapolate um anything that that's going on across the board that's not really the case so having said that though i i, I also agree that uh, looking maybe you know six twelve months in the future we'll, we'll we'll see like a bit more softening so we'll see like some of this like strength in the labor market uh is gonna just like weaken and decrease uh labor market tightness will come down a little probably stabilize back to you know what we saw perhaps like before the pandemic what we won't see i think and that's you know that's i, I think for the best uh, we won't see like spikes in unemployment that we saw during the pandemic in the us or you know like in the post 2008 like global financial crisis in europe as well it seems that the you know there's been a shift there um so the labor market this time is like dealing uh with this uh, you know shock like uh in a much more resilient way also because you know we are like in the middle of like some trends that were accelerated like aging you know like workforces for example retirement in the uk i know tony has like uh, a lot of like uh, research done on that uh, but early retirement like missing workers so that can like change i think like maybe some of the rules of the game a little bit but yeah that's that's kind of like my take on uh, what's going on also like in the in the rest of europe it's a really interesting um, message and actually an optimistic one, I feel, because I think you're right. We, we may have over-indexed on VC-backed technology firms simply because they're so dominant in our mind space. Uh, you know, we, we, we work with, we, we use all these technologies. We know Google, we know Amazon, we know all of these products. And we think, yes, these are the best indicators, but they're actually quite unusual companies. And in terms of their overall contribution to the employment uh, of people, it's comparatively low, even though the numbers sound enormous. Yeah. Um, so the I think the total amount of people that have been let go for VC-backed startups in the U.S. is something like 200,000, uh, which sounds like a massive number, you know, certainly not insignificant. But um, in terms of the absolute numbers of people in the U.S., it's actually not that bigger it's not it's not exactly a tidal wave of redundancies um and it turns out that a lot of those folks are able to shuffle into to other roles very very quickly because of the high demand so 
if we're hearing from other sectors that actually demand is still high, that means recruiters might need to think about those other sectors as places to go. Um, so if you're sitting there and thinking, you know what, I'm a tech recruiter and VC back startup. Okay, great. Be prepared for lots of competition and be prepared for maybe a longer job journey because lots of people are competing for fewer jobs there, but there's still tons of hiring that needs to be done. The company saying to you, oh, I can't hire catering staff. Guess what? They're going to hire a recruiter to help with that. Um, so, uh, so, so you might need to just reset, you know, what you're looking at in terms of the industry sector and have a think about that rather than, you know, hang around too long in a sector that probably has a little bit of a way to, ways to go and may actually have permanently recorrected um, away from, you know, a decade's worth of, uh, of crazy growth. Um, so I think optimistic, but you've got to make compromises. Um, okay. Um, sorry, Tony, you're going to say something? No, I was going to say I agree. I mean, I think this has been a really sort of high growth industry, but also one where there's been re a really significant mismatch between skills, supply and demand, which has inflated wages as well as, um, as well as been a lot of unfilled vacancies. And now we're seeing quite a significant correction. But on that point about, you know, it is real. You know, the, the slowdown we're seeing is real. I mean, and you'll know, know, all know this because you're experiencing it. Like there's been a really significant increase in redundancies in technology jobs. But it is a really small number. Like in the last quarter, there were fifteen thousand people laid off from technology jobs. Well, you know there was about a hundred odd thousand redundancies in total, and you know the labour market supports thirty million jobs. You know it's a massive, so it's a tight, it's a very small number. But historically, there's not really been many layoffs. There's not this bit, there's not many been many redundancies at all in in technology jobs until you go right back into kind of recessions. So. So it's definitely it's a real correction we're seeing, but we're still seeing a lot. We're still seeing a real, you know, a lot more demand than supply in a lot of other professional services, financial services, in all sorts of consulting jobs, in um, in in all kinds of all kinds of jobs um, that that are still professional and pretty well well paid. And it's how we can support those transitions that's important. It's a real challenge. You talked about some of the bigger drivers of this too, like the aging population is a really important one. Like you know, and and people's changing expectations of work. People want more flexibility. They want more choice around where they work and when they work. They're more likely to be needing some flexibility because of their age or maybe their health condition or other factors. And all of this kind of plays in as well to how employers are having to think differently about how they work and how, how they recruit and how they design their jobs. Did, didn't I read the other day? Well, why am I asking the question? Because I did read it. I, I know the answer. I, I read uh, this article um about sort of uh, trying to explain where the missing workers were the early retirees guys uh which both of you would know and it turned out the vast majority according to this article the vast majority of these early retirees were actually fairly wealthy middle class folks that had yeah. their own homes that essentially you know had had solved if you like the long-term uh financial issues it was just a matter of look do they want to keep work grinding away for another five years or just stop now uh because yeah. you know, what's the big difference um, so they, they weren't exactly people that had to continue to work. They just took it because they, they'd already yeah. found themselves in a pretty good position. No, that's right. And it's a bit it's a bit of a red herring about early retirement generally. We've all got really fixed on kind of what, why have older people left the labour force? And a lot of older people did leave for early retirement. But actually, most older people who are out of the labour force aren't retired. They're out of the labour force because they've got a health condition, because they're caring for somebody, um, because they can't find the right job. There's all sorts of reasons why people will be out of work. Retirement is, isn't that common. And people once once people have made the decision to retire, they pretty much always stay retired. So but the bigger the bigger issue here is a long term one. It's not really a COVID one. It's that we are all getting older. There's a million more people in the UK. There's a million more people aged in their 50s 
than her age in her twenties. Um, and that and that's continuing to um, and that that change is continuing to accelerate. And that youth labour force is getting smaller too because people are staying in education longer. So the youth labour force is is about is about one is about one quarter smaller than it was a decade ago. So if you know, if, and not enough employers and probably not enough recruiters either are even just measuring some of their data on this. They're not thinking enough about looking at looking at who's applying. What are the ages of those people who are applying and the ages of people who aren't applying as well? Why aren't we getting more applicants who are older? Not just you know why are older applicants less successful and what are the things that may hold people back? And some of it is about skills. A lot of it though is just about people's understanding of what a job involves and how they might be suited for it. And if people put off because of the language it's used or the way jobs are designed, there's a lot firms can do. There's a lot we can do to make jobs more inclusive for older people in particular. Yeah, and a problem with a lot of jobs is that they do tend to have a template, don't they? Like we have an expectation as to what the person should be doing this job. Um, and if the person doesn't fit that template, the recruiter, you know, I've been that recruiter, you just skip. Uh, you think, no, you know, we want, this, this This is the, the mental image that I had. Um, and you're just going to keep shooting for that. And in fact, there might be lots of people that, that would be available uh, to be able to do it. And I think that that's going to be one of the problems with the older population that may want to work, but find themselves frustrated to get back in because the perception might be they wouldn't want the job. They've, they've already had too much seniority. The salary expectation is too high, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and actually, you know, that, that person may, may be very flexible in all of those things. But, you know, you, you haven't gone so far as to ask them to do that. Um, so, so, yeah, very, very interesting. Oh, by the way, what Tony's talking about there is age dependency ratio, right? It's basically the dependency ratio between the numbers of people in the country that are dependent on the folks that are working. And that, that ratio is kind of just going in one direction. Basically, everyone's getting older. Uh, the, the aging population means that the, the cohort of individuals that are dependent uh, is actually increasing compared to the ones that can actually uh, support. Uh, obviously, that's a crisis. Uh, Mariano, go ahead. Yeah, really quickly, I just wanted to add, like, uh, add on that saying that, so even though like the rest of Europe, we do have, you know, different labor force participation rates. So the UK has, I think it's among the, the some of the highest, uh, highest out there. But we didn't see the same like trend in some other European countries. So we didn't see this like, you know, bunch of missing workers. So like lower overall, like labor force participation. So we actually, I think we saw um, older people kind of like working more likely to be in work after the pandemic in the rest of Europe. Part of it is like by design because of like increasing like retirement age. I think there is also like a conversation, by the way, like since we we're talking about that, uh, you know, in France, like right now, uh, there's like talk of like labor um, pens pension age, like retirement. Uh, reform. Uh, there is also like a conversation there where, whether you know like this scheme like still makes sense, you know, for the like a labor force of uh, of twenty twenty three. So do we need to make maybe like rethink both and like from a company policy and also like a public policy perspective, uh, some of the way we think about retirement. Maybe it's kind of like too old school to think of it as you know either you're working or not. You know, it might be more of a spectrum, um, maybe more of a transition period where people maybe kind of like phase out of the labor force. We do see sometimes like. Some of that in some maybe with some like self-employed like professionals. We do see a lot of like older people also wanting to work until longer, but maybe that doesn't work for others. So some other people would want to retire like earlier. So I think that's like a very interesting conversation that both you know like private and public uh, can have. I would love to see experimentation that way because it is a binary thing, isn't it? Right now, it's like okay, you're working or you're not, and if you stop working, we'll pay you a pension, but if you're working, we won't. And it's like, hang on. 
uh, why don't we just like do some sliding scale? Um, uh, you know, if, if the person is working, um, a lot of people don't work 50 hours a week. If you take it down to 20 hours a week, great. But can't, can't, can't that person then access some component of the pension that he or she has been investing in um, at, at a pro rata type of level? You know, I don't see why that's not an idea. It's probably just an, a, an implementation challenge rather than anything else. But surely we can fix that. You know, we have computers these days. Um, okay, listen, uh, folks, we're going to have to keep rolling on real quick because I noticed the time. We're well over. We have to get Mike back on to do some searching on the, on the talent intelligence side. Uh, so we're going to have to say goodbye to mariano and tony here uh guys thank you so much for your contributions i know it's a really short time and we will have to get you back for some more deep dive conversations in terms of where we're at in fact we should do a demographics kind of topic uh because we, we can't avoid it uh, i think recruiters have avoided it for, for a long time and we're trying to fix it with remote or uh, immigration or whatever but the reality is we need to talk about why what is happening in terms of the, our societies and the implications of this because we're starting to see it. Um, and if politically it becomes unacceptable to get immigration in, uh, you know, obviously everyone has seen sort of uh, uh, domestically, it's very difficult politically to, for that to happen, then we need to essentially understand the wider context in order to remake that argument. So we'll do a demographics thing. Hopefully Mariano and Tony would be happy to join us for that. Um, okay, let's move on. Thanks a lot, thanks a lot guys. Mike, sorry, mate. I'm going to bring you back in rapid um, and we're going to do some searching. Um, and Lee, by the way, I totally get what you're saying. I think it's, um, you know, I hear the, the 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 sentiment as well in terms of how you're reading it. Um, I'm not there yet, but I feel like obviously all of us will be. And it must be very difficult uh, to want to work, but then be screened out purely purely because of the the maturity that you've uh, you, you, you've gained we've, we've, we've got to do a better job of figuring out how, how, how to fix that um mike um listen great to see uh let's get get on to some of these searches mate um i wonder what you could show us uh why don't you share the screen and uh, you know we'll just crack through some searches i guess um see see what it looks like yeah sure um so um just to sort of add some context around kind of what I've done, we've taken an overall talent acquisition view of, of the market. Now, we can drill right down into whether we're looking for a talent acquisition director, a sourcer, a recruiter, a recruitment consultant. We can be that prescriptive with Horsefly. Hung, you kind of suggested a few different locations. So we've taken that search looking at the US, Germany, UK, Netherlands and France. And what we're able to provide is that supply versus demand, mean average salaries, upper quartile salaries as well. But we're talking today about trend analysis. And if I take the UK just in its, its, its own entirety, what we can actually see and what you're looking at right here is what has happened to demand in the market for TA over the last three years. So... The people per job is, you know, how many people are available for every job that's being advertised? And that's our kind of metric of looking at, you know, how difficult it may be to, to hire on or not to hire a certain skill set. But if we look at demand and we go back to sort of looking here at sort of July, you know, 2020, we're in the midst of the pandemic hit and we've seen that demand has dropped, you know, right off a cliff. And, you know, really it's, well, as everybody kind of saw, you know, everybody was looking for a job, but then we come out of that pandemic and we see the demand reached its highest point over the last three years, probably going into sort of September, September and October of 2021. 
but there has been that slow decline um and you know we're seeing that right away coming back down but it's but it's interesting when we talk about the demand for jobs because we're looking at just just before the pandemic it's probably reaching similar um similar scales to to, to where we were so yes there is a quite clear shift certainly in the uk from a ta space in terms of you know what's actually happening but that i mean and it's just been talked about earlier on with 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 tony as well so you know different sectors perform differently different locations perform very differently as well so if i flick across and say what's happened in london specifically london's had a higher quicker drop in terms of demand for ta based roles um you know over the sort of the last year or so there is a slight uptick potentially there one of the things we're looking at also as well is how we can start to predict what we think is going to be happening but if we take london and say okay well we can see london's following the the, the trend of the uk if i flick across and look at the northwest of of of, of england then actually we can see that that demand has remained relatively high so you know you will see pockets of what's happening in the market and and again this can be applied to absolutely any skill not even just by a northwest um, perspective you know i can click into to manchester for example and i'm doing this real time but i'm hoping that you know my, my laptop and wi-fi is behaving itself but we can look at how does manchester compare from its demand compared to say liverpool for example so actually liverpool's had slightly higher demand you know the back end of last year compared to manchester even though there's less people so all of these metrics and when we look at people per job we're looking at the number of live number of people there are compared to the number of live job adverts and actually that's far more robust when we look at that compared to somewhere like like london but that's we can so do interesting no Go ahead. Um, go ahead. I was going to say the, the the makeup of the there's there's probably a lot more of a tech focus in London than there is outside outside the M25. So that's one element of it. Another thing is talent acquisition as a job discipline is considerably immature compared to something like finance or sales or you know jobs which have been standard jobs within enterprise organisations for forty years or fifty years, and then. The other thing I wanted to point out is, or I wanted to ask about is, like, what do we think the correction is? Because when you looked at the overall in the UK, I mean, was the correction the point where it was all spiking? Or is the correction the lowest point? Or is the, uh, the, the you know, the, there is a correction in here, but which which is it? Yeah, I think it's difficult to say, Adam, because again, I think look, all of the points that we certainly hear and and talk about is that yeah, look, there was this huge spike in demand for for TA resulted in overinflated salaries, and um, and you see that you know higher demand um, for a, any skill set, not just TA, ultimately will rise, you know, will, will cause an increase in salary, <clears throat> and I think yeah, look, people touch how you said it earlier on that that. There was talk of some absolutely enormous salaries. Adrian Thomas, who I think, is is also on today. You know, we we talk regularly with Adrian around that correction of you know our salary starting to to to, to dampen slightly, um, and yeah, I think look, the as demand drops, then you know being able to sort of command 
very, very high salary starts to become less ultimately. Yeah, you know what? I mean, straight away, when you look at the distribution geographically, it, it, there, there is a strong argument for the leveling, leveling up argument. You know, it's like, you know what? Why am I putting more of my recruiters in London when actually uh, it could be that you've got, uh, you know, different different parts of the country and this is basically in the uh in in the pre-dip um you might want to uh, place your people there but of course now it's gone the reverse side then london might become a better place to try and do some hiring um i mean this is a really interesting some gender uh, breakdown i don't know if you had that type of data mike go ahead and have yeah, a yeah we've got uh, yeah we've got the gender breakdown we've got ethnicity which was released last year and again i mean if i just come back to sort of the overall kind of you know, looking at the UK, and we get the ethnic breakdown of, you know, what that looks like from a, a an ethnicity perspective, and we're taking sort of classifications from uh, from government um, sources. But um, yeah, this is a, a project that Will and the team worked, you know, over a number of years to make sure that we could deliver this, you know, data and you know accurately. And again, the same applies to, you know, everything you're seeing here can be done on a macro or micro level. So and it, and it goes down, right down to skills, but you know we we can we can do comparative studies of what it looks like against you know the multiple locations. So again, if you wanted to start saying, okay, well, if I'm hiring, you know, okay, it's in pounds, I can put it in dollars and euros, whatever it may be. But we can start to see where it's more expensive. But you know, not just to look at this from the US. I know we've got a global um, you know uh, audience that's, that's tuning in. This is looking at the same search, but from a US perspective. And actually we're seeing demand is, is you know, rapidly on the rise there. So actually, you, you know, is there a case that, that the US is slightly more, slightly ahead of, of perhaps where the UK is in terms of either recovery or, you know, the actual market itself, you know, the economy as a whole, because we're seeing that, that, that upward shift um, of demand there as well. Yeah, I think UK has got some unique factors, hasn't it? Um, so we've got so some some unique issues that exacerbate um, the uh, the underlying the the the, the non UK stuff. I feel um, uh, which just really doesn't help us at all. It's actually very interesting to hear from Mariano saying similarly. You know, it seemed that the atmosphere in continental Europe uh, was was posit more positive. Uh, reflected on uh, just you know people with more work. Um, so you know Brexit Britain, I'm afraid to say, um, is 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 bottom of the table at this point. Um, okay, folks, we're coming really to uh, really exhausting the amount of time on screen here. We've got a couple of questions here. By the way, uh, we, we obviously haven't got to the questions. Um, so I wonder whether you would, if you want to ask Mike anything, go and stick them in the comments section now. Or actually, no, put them in the ask question section now. And I'll make sure Mike has a copy of those. And then he can go away, do the searches and send you a quick report or something. I'm sure Mike would be cool with that. Um, and, uh, and we'll go from there. But um Okay, let's ask some of these questions anyway from Hannah. Hannah say, okay, might have missed a start, but do these metrics include agency TA roles? Uh, asking the average salary seems too low in-house. Um, I guess that might have been directed to you, Mike, actually, uh, having seen that salary. Um, what do we mean by the recruiter job? Is it in-house or is it agency? And agency, obviously, you've got like base salary issues and stuff like this. Um, do you distinguish? Yeah, we can do again just 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 for the, the the purpose of transparency. You know, this was trying to look at the broader the overall market. We're not drilling into kind of a you know talent acquisition manager or 
just the recruits, you know, trying to look at this this market as a whole. So, yeah, you can, you know, if you start drilling into director of talent acquisition, you're going to see a higher salary. We can also filter on things like number of years experience in the marketplace. Um, and again, the, the salary information we're pulling is pulled from a multitude of different places. We're not going to be adding in bonuses into that. This is base, base salary. And again, probably touched on by Emma that we're seeing that compensation package earlier on today. Yeah. Um, so, Earlier on, saying that, that you know those those rewards and things like that are things that are starting to be added into overinflate um, packages that people get. Yeah, very good. And by the way, I think Julia, you're totally entitled to answer ask, ask an irrelevant question. I'm going to answer that question. There's loads of companies that provide shared junior solutions for different types of calendars. Um, you can talk about things like uh, 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 Chronify do this, um, Good Time do this. There's loads of solutions out there. Go check them out. Um, <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, listen. I think that's about. Uh, by the way, Mike, just share the link to Horsefly into the into the chat as well. Just make sure people can go and have a play and have a look at it. Sign up for a demo if any of that data is important for you. I do think at some point every organization is seriously thinking about strategic hiring is going to need to have a talent intelligence solution of this type. Uh, you can see how important it is in terms of how you make your decisions. Um, so uh, get in touch with Mike and, uh, and get in touch, in fact, with uh, the uh, uh, check out the, the stuff online yourself and you'll see what's what. Um, all right, Mike, we got an answer. What... We got an answer, by the way, I think from Steve, maybe from Horsefly around why Horsefly, the fastest insect. The fastest yeah. insect. Yeah. It, it, it's, <laughs> and, and also the, the horsefly that we know here in the UK, the horrible ones that hang around, you know, horses and, you know, bite you. It's actually Clegg. It's called a Clegg in Scotland. Yeah, there are the horseflies as well, which are the striped ones. They're actually the fastest insect, that, and they, you're right, Adam, they, they're pollinators, so they gather nectar. So there was that argument that they're one of the fastest insects and gather nectar, so we're faster gathering data. But hey, also so yeah. Hey, hey listen, I, I, I like the fact that you're giving love to, uh, you know, uh, uh, non-cute animals. I think that's the, those guys... Uh, need a bit of love. So, uh, all right, Mike, listen, we've got to let you go, man. Thanks a lot for joining us. I will get Thanks you back at some other point. Um, we are running well out of time, everybody. So we're going to have to cl close it there. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the show, got some value from it. Um, uh, make sure you follow the channel if you've enjoyed it. Uh, we're back next week. Back, by the way, I'm back in the UK. So we'll be back at 2 p.m. GMT. Hopefully that's a little bit friendlier for our friends in the US. Um, and, uh, and we're going to be talking about the ethics of chat GPT. Make sure you sign up for it. See you next week, folks. Ah, dear. Sorry for over a man. I mean, uh, these days you've got time. I mean, usually you rush me off. <laughs> I realize. I used to, didn't I? I used to be messaging you going, shut this down now. We've got to go. And I'm like, I'm now. Manana, manana. Yeah. But, so, listen, I like the fact you're going and doing consult the kind of consultancy work and, and sort of doing these focus groups and all the rest of it. I think it's a great idea. I love it. Um, and by the way, come, people should take advantage of that because it's kind of a rare moment in your your kind of journey where you have that sort of freedom to, to be able to have conversations with folks. So that's really, really doing, interesting. Thing. I'm doing a lot of stuff for free. I'm, I'm helping a lot of people, individuals and companies um and uh, it's and I'm, I'm learning from it as well because you know i'm not doing it with I'm, I'm doing it with companies that are in our space but they are uh maybe doing something that's slightly out with my area of expertise so i'm learning from them as much as i am you know helping them so it's good 
Is this a journey? I mean, how long are you going to do it? I mean, do you want to convert it into a little mini gig? I mean, you could totally no. do. No, okay. Nah, nah, nah. I'm starting. A, I'm starting a business in August. So, yeah. all um, right. I'm doing. Um, in the meantime, just helping folk with stuff. Helping and them yeah, that's it. Good stuff. Uh, weekend. Um, working. I mean, you know, brain food is work, right? So over the weekend, it's actually quite intense. So I've yeah. got to finish the newsletter. I've got to do the second newsletter, and I've got to get I'm basically back in the UK in on Tuesday, I think. Um, and I've actually got a presentation to build because I'm away to South Africa a week after that. So I've got to deliver a, a presentation there. And I haven't done anything, so I've got to really, you know, get my head down and do that. So quite a busy weekend uh, this this time around, but that's normal. That's okay. How about you, man? What are you doing? Uh, I'm playing rugby tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> I've stepped up a level, unfortunately. Have you really? You do yeah. realize this is the point where a like a, a comedy you do a comedy injury, mate. You know, tie your shoelaces. Oh shit, Achilles gone. Six months out. It'll be, it'll be yeah. like that. No, I hope not. I hope not. Um, playing rugby, watching rugby. Uh, Six Nations games on this weekend. Watching my son playing rugby on Sunday. I haven't got my daughter playing yet, but or my wife, but you know. <laughs> Fair enough, man. Fair enough. All right, enjoy that, mate. Thanks for joining. Cheers. I'll see you see next ya. week. Bye.